0: The following message is from Westway Christian Church in Scottsbluff, Nebraska. If you'd like to know more about us, go to westwaychurch.com. Thank you for listening. Well, hey, good morning. Hey, if you're like most Americans, you have a closet uh, filled with nothing to wear. And that was certainly my experience until about two months ago when I discovered this amazing show on Netflix called Tidying Up with Marie Kondo. And I wonder if any of you, is, are there any Tidying Up with Marie Kondo fans here? Okay, a couple of you, good. Um, so the premise, the premise of this show is, is really simple. Uh, people's houses um, are filled with junk, right? All of our back rooms and our kitchens and our closets and our garages are filled with all of this stuff. So what happens is Marie Kondo rolls into your into your home and, and she helps you organize your spatula drawer. And the next thing you know, like your life is complete. And, and the metric, the, the thing that she uses to help you clean up, tidy up your house is a simple question. Does this spark joy? So I watched a few episodes and I went to work and I... First started with my closet, and, and I pulled all of my T-shirts out of my side of the closet, um, and I stacked them all up on my bed, and the stack was about, um, was about this tall, right? And I took every single one of them off the hanger, and following Marie Kondo, I, I thanked God for it, and I asked the question, does this T-shirt spark joy, and I threw away about 25 t-shirts that day, going back over 30 years, which is pretty amazing. And yeah, you heard that right. I had 30-year-old t-shirts um, in my closet. And I had this real small pile of t-shirts left. So I began to fold them um, in the way that Marie uh, tells you to fold your clothes. So here's, here's what I'm wondering. I, w- I would like two, uh, two volunteers to come up front. Okay, Bethany and... I don't know. Yep, you. Come on up. <clears throat> okay. So, shameless promotion. I have a couple Westway t-shirts here cuz that's how we do things. So, what we're going to do is we're going to we're going to fold t-shirts the way Marie Kondo would have you fold your shirt. So, so the first thing, Bethany, since you've since you've done this. Yes. Okay. So, so the first. So I'm going to move over here, so you guys have the full have the full table. So the first thing you do is you lay the T-shirt flat on on the table. Oh, Bethany does hers backwards. That's not helpful, but that's all right. <laughs> Bethany does hers backwards. Okay, so she's going to fold over one side. So go ahead and copy her. Just like it's like she's doing. Yep. She's going to fold it over. Oh, hold, stop right there. So she's going to fold it over, and it's going to start like this, right? And then she's going to fold over the other side. Okay, I want not you hold that up when you get that done. Because like Marie Kondo would say, you want a perfect rectangle. So you'd have a perfect rectangle. And then you fold it into thirds. Wow, that's even, that's even more of a shameless promotion. Um, so you fold your t-shirt so it says just, just like that, okay? So you can see the okay, good job. Thank you, guys. Good, good work. Let's give them a hand. All right. And then you put all of your t-shirts like this in your, in your drawer so you can see what shirts you have. And of course, because I am a real type A, I have mine even more organized that I have them in a certain order, so I make sure I don't wear the same t-shirt um, like in the same week, right? So they're all kind of staggered out um, like that. And I got Marie Kondoed as I was doing that, so I started doing other things in our house and in my own life, making things organized. And as I, I began to reflect on this experience as I was... Um, and actually, it happened when I was still taking my shirts out of my closet, when everything was still on was still on the hooks. A few, a few things kind of came to mind, and I just I just want to share them with you this morning. The first one was, was a song lyric from a guy by the name of Derek Webb, and the song is called Ballad in Plain Red. Okay, So if you, are, uh, if you are not new to the church, you know that many Bibles in the New Testament, in the Gospels, the words in red are the words of Jesus. So what he's talking about are the words of Jesus in this song. And the lyric was this, you can make your life look good you can do what Jesus would, but you'd be surprised what you can do with a hard heart. So as I'm, as I'm organizing my clothes, that's what's going on going in my mind. And I think there are a lot of us that work really, really hard to present a clean and organized and tidy exterior. But just under the surface... There's, there's another reality that's present. Our lives are not as clean and neat and tidy and organized as we would like for them to be. And a second thought that I had was, um, was just sometimes how I ignore things. I don't know if you remember the show Everybody Loves Raymond, but one of my favorite episodes was, was in the episode uh, Ray and Deborah had gone on vacation, and then they came home. And if you remember this one, they had a suitcase, Right? And they left the suitcase on the stairs. Of course, it was still filled with all of their dirty clothes. And all they did was walk by it time and time again because they were waiting for the other person to take care of it, right? And if you're a married couple, it's funny because it's true. You know that that's how, that's, you, know that that's how you operate. And the stuff in, in the homes that Marie Kondo tidies up, those things didn't just, those things didn't just happen overnight, they didn't just get there overnight. It took days and weeks and months and years. And I have, I have lots of little things in my life that have accumulated in that same way. And my guess is probably so do all of you. Little sins little dysfunctions, unresolved conflict. And what happens is, with those things is when we, don't, when we don't take care of them, they just kind of fade into the background. They kind of fade into the scenery of our lives. And what's really going on is, is these are things that we are refusing to take ownership of in our lives. And lastly, the more I watched Tidying Up with Marie Kondo, the more I realized that the issues that the people had on the program— it wasn't all the junk that was in their house, but it was what was going on inside of them. It was the realities of life. And for many of these people, um, they, had, they had gone through a divorce or the death of a loved one, or they had kids, and I hesitated to put that in, the, in that order because I didn't want you to think that having kids are a bad thing because they're not. But, but you know, like, life changes. Life is hard. Life is a real thing. And when we get caught up in those things, it makes us makes it really difficult for us to deal with what's actually happening in our lives. And that manifests itself in strange ways, even allowing stuff to pile up. And above all of those things is just the, the rampant materialism and consumerism that feeds our culture. You'll see these three things in the bullets. And we have a we have a culture that, that encourages us to spend and accumulate. There is always a better spatula. We have a culture that encourages us to find our identity and our worth in things. Things that spark spark joy in our lives. And lastly, we have a... We have a culture that encourages us strongly to flee the realities of life. We don't want to deal with life, so we flee those realities. And we do that in lots of different ways. We do that through sports or hobbies or substance abuse. There are lots of different ways we flee the realities of life. And the most insidious way that I see, especially us in the United States, especially us in the Midwest, especially us who consider ourselves Christians, the most insidious way we flee from reality. It's like this fake religiosity where we are filled with self-righteousness. And I'm not out to judge the people of tidying up with Marie Kondo because at least they've learned the lesson that many of us have not. They need someone to come into their lives and help them clean up. They recognize the reality that their lives are a mess, and they need someone to come into their home and help them. They need to—they need someone to go into their closets and into their attics and into their garages and into the rooms that each one of us probably has in our house. That we, you know, the one that you don't let anyone in because of all the junk overflowing. We have one of those rooms, and they need some—they need someone to come into that room, someone to come into their lives and clean it up. They need honesty. And this morning, of, of all of the possible Sundays, where we talk about honesty, um, today's Easter Sunday, and today calls for honesty. Today calls for, a, for an honest assessment of what's going on in each one of our lives. The Apostle Paul is not, um, is not known for, uh, for holding anything back when he talks to uh, different churches um, that, he, that he proclaimed truth to, that he founded in the New Testament. Especially when they needed to be confronted, and especially when they refused to acknowledge what was, what was wrong in their lives. And I think sometimes we have, this, we have this idea of the New Testament church, like everything was gumdrops and lollipops, right? Right? And if we could just go back and if we could just be like the New Testament church, then everything would be perfect. Let's be like them. But one of those churches, the church in Corinth, um, was a complete disaster. I've, I've, I know I've shared that before. The church at Corinth was a complete disaster. They had little piles of stuff that they had ignored um, all the time. All around them, and at the root of their problem, the root of the issue in the church at Corinth was their spiritual arrogance that was the, that was the main problem at the church in, in Corinth was their was their spiritual arrogance and it showed itself in in lots of different ways. One of those ways it showed itself was they accepted the sin of those within the body while they condemned the sin of those who were not believers. They were divided along the lines of giftedness. They thought that because some people had more obvious giftedness, more obvious giftings, like someone can play a musical instrument or sing or can speak or, you know, kind of like a a front, an upfront gift— some people thought that those gifts, because those gifts were better, if you didn't have one of those gifts, you, um, you didn't have a role to play in the church at all. And when you read through 1 Corinthians, you see that this caused a lot of anxiety and anger and bitterness all within the people of the church. They actually sued one another. There's a chapter that talks about them suing one another. When they got together to have communion, they didn't do it to proclaim Jesus they got together to stuff their bellies and to get drunk. They openly incited class warfare. And some of you thought your church was bad. But in the middle of all of this, I'm going to read, this is from 1 Corinthians 6, verse, beginning at verse 9. In the middle of all of this going on in the church at Corinth, this is, this is what Paul writes. He says, don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols or commit adultery or are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves or greedy people or drunkards or are abusive or cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. In the most honest way, way possible. Paul is speaking truth to a church that needs to be confronted with their own realities. He needs to tell them, and he is telling them, that the little piles of stuff that they've got going on all around their lives, those aren't just things that they need to, like, get cleaned up. They need to fix. And I think sometimes that's how we approach sin. Like I got this little issue going on in my life and I need to kind of take care of it because it's, it's, I feel a little out of sorts with people relationally. I feel like I'm missing something in my relationship with God. And if I could, if I could just get this, this thing under control, like this character flaw that I have, if I could just fix this character flaw, then I would be fine. But see, that's not what Paul says in this text. These aren't just things that, that they needed to work on. The sins that we have in our lives aren't just things that we need to work on. These are the things, these are the sins that are actively separating us from God's kingdom. And see, there's a difference between those, between those two things. And because this is God's story, and because the people in the church at Corinth and Paul was a part of God's story, and because as, as believers today— and even if you're not a believer, you believe it or not, you're still part of God's story. Because this is their story. It's also our story. And this truth is for us as well. I think sometimes we, we have this tendency to, to look at the world and we wonder why there's so much wrong with the world. Have you ever thought that? Like, why are all of these why are all of these bad things happening? What's wrong? What's wrong? Right? Here, here it is. What's wrong with people? Right? You probably asked that question when you were driving here today and someone didn't go and the light turned green. What's wrong with people? Right? We asked that question. What's wrong with people? And Jesus says this in Matthew 15. And I, I really think this is, this is instructive for us. He says, It's not what goes into your mouth that defiles you. You're defiled by the words that come out of your mouth. See, the problem isn't out there. The problem's in here. The problem is, is deeply rooted inside of us. This past week, I was listening to coverage of the Mueller report. Right. This is the investigation into the 2016 presidential election. I was listening to the coverage of the Mueller report and I actually kind of decided last night like I'm going to I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read this. I want to see what this is all about, right? Cuz everybody has an opinion of the Mueller report, but how many of us are going to wade through 485 pages of what it says? So I think I got to about 116 last night. Well, very early on in the Mueller report, it talks about the efforts by Russia, and this is a quote, the efforts by Russia to provoke and amplify political and social discord in the United States. Right? So, so according to the Mueller report, there was, there was an effort by, by a foreign government to, quote, provoke and amplify political and social discord in the United States. As I'm thinking about this, and I was thinking about the way they talked about it, what I could hear, like the way, the way that the news was talking about it, the way the media was promoting this, and I, this is not, I'm not being political, I'm trying to be apolitical, okay? But the way that it was being promoted, like like all of the political and social discord that we felt during the 2016 election, according to the media, that was Putin's fault, that was the Russians' fault. And I could see where this was kind of, like, I could hear this. Like, we all want someone to blame, and, that's, and I think that's, that's something really helpful to us, for us to understand, is we want someone to blame for our problems, right? Well, as I listened and I was reading through this, the words of James 4 came to my mind. What is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You're jealous of what others have, so you fight and wage war to take it from them. See, all the, all the Russians did was tap into the sinfulness of man. That's all they did. They tapped into the sinfulness of man. And and so many of us, and this is political, as Christians, what the heck are we thinking when we fall for this nonsense? How do we fall into this trap of seeking salvation in a political party or a national office holder? What is wrong with us? And the reality is, like, I already have a Savior, and his name is Jesus. And we have to recognize that the sin that is around us is in us and is from us. We have to recognize that it's our own broken relationships, and it's our consumerism, and it's our materialism, it's our idolatry, and it's our sexual brokenness. All of these things are right here in this text our abuse of others, and our cheating, and our greed, we have to recognize that all of this stuff that is, that is running rampant in our sinful hearts is washing and being dispersed all over other people, right? So when we ask this question, what's wrong with people? We should be asking, what's wrong with me? How am I contributing to this reality? And we have to stop ignoring what is wrong with us we have to stop ignoring that and i think in a group of people this size like for some of us this sounds so archaic right this is so old fashioned it's so out of date doesn't make any sense to us because because surely we've uh you know we've evolved into a better form of mankind than to allow these things to come out of us but here's Here's the thing, as I read through the scriptures, one of the things I'm seeing more and more and more consistently is a warning against being deceived. The more I read through the Bible, the more I see warnings against being deceived. And I think part of our problem is we are so surrounded by people that in our minds sin way worse than we do because they sin differently than we do. The phrase in our mind, boy, I'm sure glad I don't sin like this person, rolls off of our tongue before we can even stop it. It's easy for us to think that everyone else needs Jesus. That everyone else needs to be tidied up. That everyone else needs to be fixed. But the reality of of Resurrection Sunday is that there's a way out of all of this? There's a way for us to escape the binds that we have placed ourselves in through the pursuit of everything else. And this begins with an honest assessment of our lives. And none of the people who call Marie Kondo call, their, call her because their house is spotless, they call her because their house is a mess. One of my favorite scriptures is from James chapter 1, and it, it compares God's word to, to a mirror. And if you were here from our James series, you remember we talked about this a lot, right? God's word is a mirror, and what it does is it, it reflects back the truth of our realities to us, and it reflects back the truth of who God is to us so we can see accurately. And some of us, we hear that, like we we peer into this and we disagree with what it says because we don't like what it has to say. We don't like the truth that it is reflecting back to us. And James continues, he said, People who do that are like someone who looks in a mirror, sees themselves, and walks away, and they immediately forget what they look like. Paul's warning is to us don't be a fool. Your life is a mess. My life is a mess and it needs to be cleaned up. And the question that we have to ask is who's going to clean it up? Who's going to clean up the mess? You? Are you going to clean up your own mess? Me? Am I going to clean up my mess? Am I going to fix myself? How many times have you tried to fix yourself? How many times have you tried to clean yourself up? How many times do you need to move? How many jobs do you need to get? How much money do you need to make? Like all of these attempts that we have to clean ourselves up fail miserably time and time again. And maybe you've heard the phrase, wherever you go, there you are. I never, like I'd heard that phrase a lot and it just hit me over the last couple of weeks what it means wherever you go there you are so when you when you move to get away from like whoever you were back in this other town or in this other neighborhood and you or you get a new job because it'll be a new it'll be a fresh start and a great way for you to for you to begin your life all over again wherever you go you're still there you are still there you're still bringing your problems with you. And I, so I love 1 Corinthians 6, verse 11. Some of you were once like that, but you were cleansed, you were made holy, you were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. See, here's, here's the truth. We need someone else to come in and save the day for us. To, to present truth to us in a kind and in a loving and yet in a bold way. You weren't cleansed or made holy because you cleaned your life up. You weren't cleansed or made holy because, because you got off of drugs. Right? You weren't cleansed or made holy because when you were at camp during the 8th grade year, you threw a pine cone into the fire because that was what you thought you needed to do in order to get rid of the sin in your life. That's not why you were cleansed. The path to being cleansed and made holy is through Jesus. The path to being made right is not calling upon Marie Kondo to help us clear out our spatula drawer. The path to being made right is to call upon Jesus' name. Well, why Jesus? what's What's so special about him? I mean, we're gathered here to proclaim his name and to celebrate his resurrection, so so we may as well talk about him for a minute, right? Like, what's so special about this Jesus? Well, in John 14, 6, Jesus says says this statement, and, and some of you have heard, you don't have to be in church to have heard this phrase, so it's probably familiar to you. He says this, he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me as I was pondering that statement, on its own, you know what? That's really not that stunning of a statement. I want to say that again, because usually when, when we hear someone talk about John 14, 6, it's presented like that's just an amazingly um, amazing statement. But I would submit to you that it's not that stunning of a statement, and here's why. Because before Jesus came, there were tons of people who were thought to be the Messiah. After Jesus died and resurrected. There have been plenty of people who have claimed to be the Messiah. What made Jesus different was his demonstration of this claim. And I'm not talking about the way he lived his life. I'm not talking about the words he said. While those were powerful, those aren't the demonstrations that I'm talking about. Because he did those things out of obedience, born of love from his Father. Out of love for God and his care for us, Jesus lived a sinless life, paid our sins in his death, and came back to life. His life, death, and resurrection proclaimed a new kingdom. And that's the way he demonstrated his claim of who he was. It was through what he did by coming back to life. So when we ask the question, who can clean me up? I'm going to go with the guy that came back to life after he was dead for three, three days. Okay, Whatever that guy tells me to do, I'm going to do whatever he says. Because when someone comes back to life after being dead for three days, you probably ought to listen to them. And our way to access this kingdom is very, very, very simple. It's in First John 1 9, and it says this. But if we confess our sins to him, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. See, there's no room for self deceit in this relationship. There's no room for us to trick ourselves in this relationship with Jesus. We don't just need cleaned lives, we need new lives. And as people who follow Jesus, this is what he offers us. In John 10.10, 10, Jesus says this, The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Yesterday, as I was, I was finishing up this message, I couldn't remember what that scripture reference was. Like, I knew what it said, so I did what, what every single person in 2019 does when you know a phrase and you don't know where it comes from, right? You pull out your phone and you hop on Google and you type in the phrase, right? That's what we all do. So the phrase that I typed was life to the fullest. It only took 0.49 seconds for Google to tell me that there were 72 million 300,000 responses for life to the fullest. And as I pondered that, I thought, yeah, that sounds about right. That's how we live our lives, right? Searching through 72,300,000 ways to find life to the fullest. And we will pursue anything and anyone and everything but the one who tells us how to find it. And his name is Jesus. This Jesus came to earth. He lived a life that proclaimed the kingdom. He died for our refusal to listen, and he came back to life anyway to offer us more life, to op- offer us the opportunity for a rich and satisfying life, the truly tidied up life. And if, if you don't know Jesus, like, you're missing out. If you don't know Jesus, you're missing out. I was always hesitant to say that when I was in student ministry. Like we would go to camp or we would go on a retreat. And I, was always, I always kind of felt bad when I would tell kids when we got back, hey, you didn't come on this trip and you really missed out. But the reality of it is, if you don't know Jesus, you're missing out. You're missing out on the life that you really want. You're missing out on the life that fills the gap that fills the hole in your life that you are busy cramming everything into. And maybe you don't know that's what you're doing. But I'm telling you, it is. And Ann and I, we came to Christ later in life and we tried to stuff anything and everything into that hole and nothing filled it but Jesus. If you know you're a mess and you're, you're ready to be honest about that, then, then I would love to talk to you about Jesus he wants us to join him in real life. Let's pray. God, this morning we celebrate um, the resurrection of your son, Jesus. We celebrate the, the person who came, to bring us life. And he demonstrated that by still being alive even after he was killed. And he offers that to each and every one with us. God, I, I ask this morning that we would see him for who he is. A risen Lord. A powerful Savior who calls us out of the grave to join him in real life. It's in your son's end we pray. Amen.